I want you to remember that God, God's created everything you see. He breathed it into existence. Remember when his people were caught up in slavery? He rescued them. What he did was he parted the sea and he made a way for them. And then he delivered their enemies to them and he unlocks wounds and he provides water from a rock and he provides manna from heaven and he brought down the walls of Jericho. He froze the sun allowing victory. He's toppled giants with tiny stones. He's brought fire from heaven. He shut the mouths of lions. He preserved life in the belly of a well. He's fed thousands with a few loaves. He gives the weak strength. He heals the sick. He's made the blind see, the deaf ear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and he's overcome evil, and he's made a way through death for you and me by the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that we will live with him forever. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. What are we afraid of? His resume is flawless. He controls everything. And he loves you. Well, good morning, friends. Whether you are joining us on 105.9 The Bash, whether you are listening to us on Facebook, or you're at bachelorcreek.com watching the service, we want to welcome you today. Let me start off with a story that I heard about four friends who were talking, and somehow they got on the subject of death. One man says to the other three, when you're lying in your casket and people are talking about you at your funeral service, what is it you would like to hear them say about you? The first guy says, I'd love to hear them say what a great doctor I was in my time. Also, what a wonderful family man I've been. The second guy says, I'd like to hear people say what a great teacher I've been to my students and how I changed this next generation for the good. The third guy says, when I'm in my casket, I'd like to hear people say, look, he's moving. I know, we just needed a little bit of levity before we talk about a subject of great gravity. See, last week we talked about having faith over fear. And we said that in light of who God is and what God promises, we would let go of fear and unconditionally trust God. And probably nowhere is this trust more important than when it comes to facing our own death. Most of us in the Western world don't give much thought to life after death because life here and now presents enough challenges of its own. We've got deadlines to meet, bills to pay, kids to raise, events to attend, and careers to manage. However, the events that have unfolded globally in the last six to eight weeks have a lot of people taking a needed pause to give thought to the idea of death and beyond. With the death toll from the coronavirus just rising daily and people taking extreme measures not to be counted among that number, the thought of death is looming larger than it has at any other time in the last several years. See, typically, when there's something that we don't want to face or confront, here in America, we do a variety of things. We either go to the shopping malls and spend it away. We go to the bars and drink it away. We go to the entertainment venues and get it entertained away. Or we go to the restaurants and we eat it away. All right, but those things are not available now. Restaurants are closed. Bars are closed. 
entertainment venues are closed, the shopping malls are closed. So we are forced to confront a lot of the things that we don't typically give time to think about. And the Bible says it is wise to give thought to such things. Probably no book in all of Scripture wrestles with the topics of life and death more than the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a tough book with some tough words, and it leaves the readers with several head-scratching moments. But here's what we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. Now listen to this. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man the living should take this to heart. Every human being has a destination with death. But because death invokes fear in us, we push it aside, we ignore it. We here in America even label it as unfair, unjust, wrong. We almost call death criminal at times. My guess is that the fear of death is largely perpetuated because of all the unknowns about death. Things like, what happens when we die? How will we exactly transition from this life to the next? Is heaven more than just halos and harps? Is it possible to talk to dead people? Are ghosts real? What about the whole reincarnation deal? Is there anything to that at all? Well, all throughout history, people have been searching for answers about what happens when we die. Let me say this. As followers of Christ, we should not only be the most biblically informed people on the topic of death, we should be the most confident and hope-inspiring people when it comes to death. Because death is no longer our enemy. But actually, in Christ, death becomes a friend that liberates us from this broken, sinful, painful world. And death becomes the vehicle by which we will be delivered into the loving presence of our great King. This is why scripture says that as Christians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Yes, we grieve, but our hope that the best is yet to come trumps our grief. So death is not the enemy. Living in constant fear of death is the enemy. Think about it this way, if you would. When you tuck your child into bed at night, they might ask you before you leave the room, mom, dad, will you leave the light on? Because what light does is it shows them the reality around them. It takes away any fear of the unknown. And my purpose today is to turn on the light of God's word so that we can dismiss any of the fears that you may have regarding death. So let's begin by asking the question, as Christians, why are we afraid to die? And the number one concern for many people is this, they don't wanna leave their loved ones behind. I would put myself in this category. I have relatively young children, as do many of those of you who are watching. I wanna see them grow up. I wanna see them mature. I wanna see them get married and have kids and become the men and women of God I've always hoped they would be. That's a natural desire for any parent, especially younger parents. As well, you wonder how your family will make it without you. Many of you remember when my wife had a tough battle and a long battle with cancer 12 years ago. And I remember her telling me that the reason she was going to fight so hard was because she didn't want her children to be motherless. And at the time, our kids were six, five, and just 10 months old. But there's that fear of not wanting to leave loved ones behind. That's understandable. Another reason we fear death as Christians is because we have a natural fear of the unknown. 
Uncertainty is what makes us want to keep what we have now. And death is total uncertainty of what will be. On top of that, we have an enemy who uses fear to control or manipulate us and keep us from the abundant life in Christ. Here's what God's Word says about that. The book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now listen to this. Only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. As humans, we don't like to give thought to that which is unpleasant. So the more unpleasant the enemy can make death look, the more we won't think about it or prepare for it. That's why in a lot of movies that we see, how do they project death? They project it as something that should be avoided at all costs because death is painful, death is tragic, death is terrifying. But as you open the pages of scripture, you see that's not an accurate picture of death for the Christian at all. So to challenge any lie of the enemy, you use that double-edged sword called the Word of God. And here's what God's Word says about the death of a Christian. Psalm 116.15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His faithful servants. In other words, that moment in time when a servant of God departs this world, that's a precious, special, tender time between our Father God and we, his children. And while this does not promise that our death won't be lingering, or painful, or even violent, it does promise that God is close to us at that moment of departure and waiting with welcoming arms. I love the story an old bishop used to describe death to children. He would say, children, let's say a little boy is walking with his father to town and he comes across a bridge that's been wiped out by a flood. And all that the raging river has left are these pylons that are just jutting up out of the river. And the father grabs his son by the one hand and half carries him, half drags him across the river to the other side. At dusk, when they are beginning to make their way back, the father starts to hear the little boy whimper and asks, what's wrong? The little boy says, oh, daddy, we barely made it across the river in the daytime. We'll never make it across at night. So the father scoops up the child, puts him across his chest, and the little boy falls asleep in his father's arms. The next thing the little boy knows is that it's morning, and he's in his own house, in his own room, in his own bed. And there standing in the doorway is his father smiling at him. And the old bishop would say to the children, Now children, I think that's what it is like to die. In other words, what we fear, we never really experience. We go to sleep in the Father's arms. We wake up in the Father's house with the light of the Father's love shining through. That's pretty comforting, isn't it? Now, a third reason we fear death is over confusion of where we are going to spend eternity. Here's a famous epitaph that was on a tombstone, and it read, Stranger, stop as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare now to follow me. Someone later added these two lines. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. 
Now, what we have in our world is a lot of speculation. Some say your candle just burns out and you cease to exist forever, so you better make the best of this life. That would be the, the idea of the atheist. You only go around once. The only problem with this is that Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. God has made us in such a way that we don't only hope there is more out there, but we instinctively and intuitively know there is more out there. Others believe in circles of reincarnation. If you were bad, you might come back as a tick on the hind end of a mangy dog. If you were really good, you might be allowed to come back as an IU fan. But again, Scripture says it is appointed man wants to die, and after this, face judgment. So that makes reincarnation null and void. Some people believe everybody goes to heaven. But Jesus plainly said there will be people in hell. Other people believe that if you are good, you go up, and if you are bad, you go down. What about the scripture that says there is no one who is by nature good? Ask people where they get this information, and many times it comes from nowhere else than a gut feeling they have or simply what they wish or hope will be true. So we don't need speculation. We need revelation. And to my knowledge, there is only one who died and came back to talk about it. That, in my book, names Jesus as the only authority qualified to talk about eternity. And Jesus did a lot. Well, what about near-death experiences? Well, what's the key word here? Near death. They didn't crawl out of their grave after being in there for 10 days. Now, I would read that book if that was someone's story. But it's really hard to get confident about death when you study near-death experiences because all the stories are so different. Some people see light, some people see darkness. Some people see Jesus, others don't. Some say it's so great you don't want to come back, and others beg to come back. So because of all the inconsistencies, it should not give us more confidence, but less, because everything's so random. These stories might be interesting, but don't look to them to be insightful. Don't find your comfort from the words of people who say they saw a light or they hear angel wings flapping. Find your comfort from Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. And this same Jesus proved his authority to say that by walking out of his own grave. Here is what we believe as Protestant Christians based on what Jesus taught. If you are in Christ, you are going to heaven. And if you have rejected Christ, you are going to hell. Period. Jesus didn't mince words. Listen to what he says in Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, 
Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now, make no mistake about this here. Jesus is not promoting works righteousness. No, these people who were made righteous through Christ and elevated into glory were made righteous through his blood. And out of their salvation, these good deeds flowed. They didn't do good things to be saved, but because they were already saved. The Bible is very clear. Those who have accepted Christ's offer of salvation will go to heaven. The rebellious will go to hell. Another reason we are afraid to die is because we have a very limited understanding of heaven. We read in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Our little three-pound fallen brain cannot even begin to conceive what heaven is like. Think of it this way. Picture a baby inside a mother's womb. It's warm, the baby's nourished, the baby has grown accustomed to and comfortable with the world in which it lives. He's not even aware that there is a whole other world out there of sights and sounds and colors and activity and love. And this other world is literally within arm's reach of the baby. And the day of birth simply becomes that journey to a whole other world that is so much bigger and better and beautiful in so many ways. We're like that baby, somewhat oblivious to what is on the other side. Ideas like eternity, perfect love, no fear of death, no fear of anything, perfect beauty, joy, and delight unlike anything we have ever experienced. Doesn't it make you wish there was someone who could die, go to heaven, come back and tell you what it is like? And then we would be able to relax, wouldn't we? Well, there is such a person. His name's Jesus. And here's what he said in John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. Now, when you hear that scripture read at a funeral, or even you hear it from me today, how many of you would say, I'm ready, I'm in, I wanna hear the Jefferson's theme song and move on up to heaven? Well, maybe some of you are eager, 
But now let me paraphrase this for you in the SDT version of the Bible. That's the Solomon David translation. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. When it comes to death, relax. I've got everything taken care of. In my father's house is a five-star resort on a beautiful island in Hawaii. There's a golf course on one side, ocean view on the other side, beautiful flower gardens, the best of foods, the most amazing people you can ever be around. You can even ride a horse or swim on a dolphin anytime you want. You come hang out with me for all eternity. Now, how many of you are ready to go now? Probably more of us. See, Christ didn't just promise us an afterlife but a better life. Now, a lot of people have questions about, about heaven. Some we can answer and some we can't. Some people ask questions like this. When you get to heaven, do you become an angel? I mean, sometimes we hear this, right? Especially at funerals. Someone will say, well, my loved one got their wings today, or my loved one is now my guardian angel. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but no matter what Hollywood has portrayed or no matter what Oprah has told you, the Bible never tells us that we're going to become an angel. And that is good news for several reasons. And maybe I can get more into that next Wednesday at our Facebook Live broadcast at 1 o'clock. Some people want to know, will my pet be in heaven? Well, it depends. Is it a dog or a cat? I think dogs are pretty sure going to be there. I don't know so much about cats. Sorry, cat lovers. Any answer that someone gives you to that question about pets in heaven is going to be simply conjecture. We simply don't know the answer to that question. Some people want to know as well, am I going to be just playing a harp and floating around on a cloud all day? No. That is all cultural imagery of heaven and doesn't come from the Bible at all. Here is what we do read in Psalm 1611. The psalmist says, You will fill me with your joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So this tells me that heaven is going to be a place of pleasure. So maybe the things we enjoy doing on earth will be possible to do in heaven. We know that like any good father, God loves to give gifts to his children. And one of these gifts are pleasurable things to do that bring enjoyment. Again, maybe we'll talk some more about this Wednesday in our live stream. Now, another reason we fear death is because we're not going to the right source. We're getting our information from all the wrong places. We get it from Hollywood movies or talk shows, talk show hosts, other world religions, mediums, documentaries. But God's word alone tells us all we need to know. In the first century, there was speculation and conjecture about the afterlife. Many people didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. So when Paul writes the church at Corinth, who were struggling with some of these things, he says to them, time out, time for a refresher course. Let's look at the basics. And Paul goes back to the very basics of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. In other words, Paul's saying, this gospel that Jesus preached is the exact same one I'm preaching. And if you've believed in it and taken hold of it, then you have salvation. 
But if you're wishy-washy about whether or not you believe this and whether or not this is truth, then you really don't have hope after this life. For what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Folks, that is the distinguishing marks of Christianity. That's what makes us different. And if we don't agree with that, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then we're toast. Paul then says in verse 5, And then he appeared to Cephas, which is just another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. But if it has been preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then I am wasting my time preaching and you are wasting your time listening. Everything hinges on this one fact, the resurrection of Christ. Then in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Paul says, how are you going to stand before a holy God covered in the filth of your sins if Christ didn't die and resurrect? Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus only helps me live a better moral life here and now, but offers nothing in terms of the next life, then we're in trouble. Our hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that doesn't just do me good in this life, but offers hope for eternal life. Now, another reason we fear death, and this is the last one we're going to talk about today, is because we lack an assurance of salvation. We base God's love for us on how we behave on any given day. If I'm good, he loves me. If I sin, he loves me not. Some days we feel saved and some days we don't because we are basing it on our emotions instead of the promises of an unchanging God. When we talk about God's faithfulness, we are talking about how he loves us even when we don't feel so lovable. And John addresses this in his epistle of 1 John. Listen to what he says in 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The real issue, friends, is not how much you have sinned, but how much you have trusted God's answer for your sins. You can know that you have eternal life. But again, we have an enemy who doesn't want you or I to know who Jesus is. He doesn't want you to know if you've been born again. He doesn't want you to know that you're going to heaven. He wants to keep you in this state of ambiguity where the last thing you have is certainty about anything. But here's what we can know. 1 John 5.19 We 
know. Say that with me at home. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Amen. Well, if you are in Christ, you have no reason to fear, friend, and you have every reason to sleep peacefully as one who belongs to God. And I think this is the reason, one of many, why the Lord wants us to observe communion when we gather together each week. Because we, as followers of Christ, we so easily forget and so easily question where we stand. And we just need reminded each week of God's love and his promises, which is best represented in the loaf and the cup. Hey, we want to thank you again for joining us today. We sure hope that you've been blessed. Not only what happens today um, on the Lord's Day through hearing the message online or on the radio, but also just through the things that we're doing throughout the week to keep the church community and church family engaged. And we hope you'll tune in uh, this coming Wednesday at one o'clock where we're gonna answer some questions based on this sermon and even dig a little bit deeper into some things that I said that we'd get to that I just didn't have time to get to today. Um, also, we wanna remind everybody that there's a phone number you can contact should you have prayer needs or any other kind of needs during this time as well. That number is 260-215-4334. Simply use that to send in uh, prayer requests or if there's a praise or just anything you'd like to share uh, with the church staff that you feel we would be um, beneficial to know or a way that we can pray for you, we'd love for you to send a text that way. So again, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your support of uh, this church and ministry and look forward to seeing you next time when we're online. Take care. God bless.